The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Today on the show, Daryl Henderson scored 17 or more non-PPR fantasy points in three of four games at one point last year. Clyde Edwards-Zeller was on pace for 44 catches last year. Can he be, uh, be better than that in 2021? Which handcuffs are worth drafting? Are people sleeping on Emmanuel Sanders? Yes, actually, we're talking about that. Is Adam Troutman... Yet another awesome person whose first name is Adam. All of these things will be discussed on today's show. I am Adam Azer. I am joined by collared shirt-wearing Dave Richard. Hello, Fancy Dave. What's up, Adam? I just come back from the office here, so I didn't have a chance to change into a cool shirt like you and, and our other analyst today has. Yeah, on. The flex shirt for me, Sportsline shirt for Jacob Gibbs of Sportsline. And you hear him a lot on FFT and 5. What's up, Jacob? Got a stat you want to dazzle us with? Oh, man. I know. Right off the bat, huh? You, uh, you, yeah. got, you go to sleep thinking of these things. Yeah, I'll go with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. In the second half of the season, he did not play in the two-minute drill one single time, not even <laughs> one snap. <laughs> That's not, not good news. Uh, did Daryl Williams? Yeah, yeah, 45 uh, out of 51 were Williams. What about Le'Veon? Do you happen to have that? Yeah, he played six, six out of 51. Okay. I could have done I've that. I've got some I friends in Los that. Angeles that want to know about that guy. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so, listen, we're recording this on Monday afternoon, or Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, and uh, we've already done a bonus pod about the camp. I swear to God, I have no idea what today. Today's Tuesday, right? Tuesday, yeah. yeah. Uh, we already did a bonus pod about Cam Akers, but we didn't hear from Dave. We didn't hear from Jacob. So let's do it. Let's let's talk about that first. Out for the season with a torn Achilles. It totally stinks. He was the 11th pick in NFC drafts uh, since July 1st. First round pick, you know, maybe early second rounder, and and he's he's off the board now, and it just stinks. But... We'll turn our attention to Daryl Henderson. And um, Dave, where would you take Daryl Henderson? Where are you ranking him? I've got him, uh, and it depends on format, anywhere from round five to early round six, which probably means I'm not going to get him. And I'm open to changing my mind on it, but I just remember last year when he had the opportunity to be the main guy for the Rams, started in week two, went all the way through until week seven, so six games in total. Three of them, he did great. You mentioned it at the top of the show. I've actually got him with at least 18 PPR points in three of the games. Yeah, And then he didn't obviously do quite as well in the other three games. I think they were all single digits in PPR. And then Cam Akers came back, and it's almost like Sean McVay. Like, you'd see it in a movie. Like, he, he grabs Daryl Henderson and, like, pushes him out of the way so he can go and hug Cam Akers. When Akers came back, Henderson became an afterthought in the offense. In fact, there were only two games uh, the rest of the year where he played more than 40% of the snaps. One of them, Akers didn't actually play in. So, of course, you're going to see Henderson play more. It was the Week 16 game against Seattle. But he was never a full-down guy. Uh, he played 13 third-down snaps uh, in, in those six games without Cam Akers on the field. He had 13 targets in those six games without Cam Akers on the field. I just have a suspicion that this coaching staff doesn't want to trust Daryl Henderson to handle everything. They're okay with him being maybe the first guy up and working in tandem with other running backs, but they don't want him to be an every-down guy. I don't think they're quite comfortable with that. I'm, I'm going to lean toward them adding another talent I know that there's a report saying that they're not going to do that. I think they will eventually. Not yet. Not yet. Right. Eventually, right. they're going to add somebody else. I kind of like what they have in Xavier Jones. All right. Uh, he's a running well, back on. from SMU. Let's get to him. Some, we'll get to him. He, okay. Because okay. there's but so many players. Ultimately, I'm not, I'm not super high on Daryl okay. Henderson in fantasy. So give me the – where do you have him ranked? And I just, I just want to bring up one thing, Dave, because the way I saw it 
was it wasn't like Cam Akers got healthy and then they just said goodbye, Daryl Henderson. The way I remember it was that Henderson got hurt in the Dolphins game. And he, I'm looking at the first half stats now. He had eight carries, and I was looking at the game log. I mean, he was dominating carries. This was in the midst of his run as the starter. Malcolm Brown had five carries. Cam Akers had three carries in the first half of that game. I think he got hurt there, as I recall. And then they had a bye week, and he didn't miss any time. But after the bye, Cam Akers, they started to get him going more. So I don't know if he lost his job because Akers got back or because he got hurt. And I also think he played hurt. Yeah, maybe we don't even know how much he played hurt. He was he was like always hurt. He missed week one with an injury. So no, he uh, played week one. He just didn't play much in week one. Oh, okay. He barely Malcolm Brown had a ton of work in, in week one. Sure did. Um maybe did was it Cam Akers who missed week one with an injury? No. Akers was there too. Okay. Three carries for Daryl Henderson, but I think he had an ankle or something. But anyway, And he ended the season with a high ankle sprain. Right. Missed, health, missed the playoffs. Health is an issue there. So give me right. the running backs that you have ranked around Henderson. So I've got him at twenty three in my PPR rankings. Uh to me, there's a separation between Montgomery, Sanders, and Chris Carson from this next group of running backs. Miles Gaskin, Mike Davis, Josh Jacobs, Daryl Henderson, and I still have ETN at 24. I don't know how long I'm going to stick with that in PPR. All right, Jacob, let me get your thoughts on when you would draft him and which running backs you think uh, would be in the same range as Daryl Henderson. Yeah, it sounds like I'm a little bit higher on him than Dave. Um, I think when I ran the projections, if he like is a starter for the whole year, he came out of RB13, which seems too high. I wouldn't draft him that high. Um, I have an RB20 right now. Um, but I generally agree with what Dave's saying. I'm, I don't know if I trust the role fully, given how they kind of handled him last year. But big reason he didn't play on the passing downs and third downs, like Dave mentioned, was because Malcolm Brown. And I don't know if that is a reflection of Henderson or Brown more. I think they really you know, trusted Brown on those passing downs because they still were you know, giving him those reps, even when Cam Akers was kind of taken over at the end of the year. So... I think with him gone, I think it's possible that Henderson could play more on third downs than we saw last year. Um, he was pretty explosive in Memphis in the passing game, even though he didn't have a ton of volume there. Um, so I'm kind of waiting to see who they draft or who they pick up. If it's somebody who seems like he's clearly going to be involved on third downs, like um, that would you know keep him outside of the top 20, I think. But if it looks like he might have a three-down role, then I think I would be fine taking him as a top 15 or 16 running back, honestly. I think there's a lot of upside there. Yeah, Rams... According to PFF, they give them the eighth best offensive line going into the yeah. season, so that's nice. And you, you get a lot of rushing touchdowns. You get a lot of carries from the Rams running backs last two years. I mean, I mentioned all this stuff on yesterday's podcast, but the last two years they've been 30th and 31st in running back targets, and that was Heath gave me that stat, so thank you, mm-hmm. Heath. But we all know, I mean, the Rams offense can change. New quarterback who has a history of throwing to his running backs and um, – and, it was just three years ago and, and the year before that under Sean McVay that Todd Gurley was one of the leading receivers on the team. So you don't know exactly what, what to look at there. Um, okay, so so Jacob, for you, like Josh Jacobs? And do you have kind of, uh, you know, he's a Jacob, you're a Jacob kind of thing. I don't know if that's a, there's a bias there. Josh Jacobs or or Daryl Henderson? <laughs> that's a bias there. You have no Josh Jacobs bias. I do have Daryl Henderson just ahead of him, um, just because of the limited, you know, passing involvement for Jacobs. I think there is a path to, you know, more targets for Henderson that Jacobs doesn't have. How about guys, both of you, Mike Davis or Daryl Henderson? I, 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 to me, it's a reflection of how I really feel about Henderson because I'm not a big fan of Mike Davis either. But I'll take Davis ahead of Henderson. Yeah, I have Davis one spot ahead. Okay. And I think he could be really involved in passing downs, too. That's the main reason. He's right, that's, that's definitely a factor. So, Dave, let me ask you, are there any other running backs either on the Rams or who are free agents right now that you think in some league that's drafting now or a dynasty league where, where free agency is open should be added? Uh, in deep, deep leagues, <clears throat> the two names that I would look at, and one is a guy who is on the roster. It's Xavier Jones, who... Isn't a burner, but he reminded me of James Robinson a little bit when I watched. I, I, I spent a little time watching him today. He's got some good vision, and that was the one trait that James Robinson had like nailed down. It's probably what got him like his foot in the door with the Jaguars in the first place. So he reminds me of that. Maybe a smaller version of James Robinson. I I, I don't have the measurables in front of me, so I can't say for sure. But he, decent pass catcher, quick, shifty feet, physical. Just not a lot of burst to his game. He's going to get caught from behind a lot. He'll have a lot of runs between four and ten yards and not a lot of 15-plus yard runs. He's somebody who could end up 
being the guy. Like if they had a game this week, he'd end up probably sharing with Daryl Henderson because two of the other running backs they have on their roster, uh, Ray Calais and uh, Otis Anderson, are more of like scat backs. And then you've got uh, Jake Funk, who is is a fun, talented prospect and high spark score, but is, is coming off of two LC, ACL injuries and is more of a special teams guy. Jake at this who? Point. Funk. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with Terry or or Hoss. Um, now the the other player that I think might make some sense for the Rams that's a free agent. This is just me spitballing. Do not add uh, Le'Veon Bell just because I'm mentioning him. But 29 years old, experience running in zone scheme offenses. Uh, definitely has experience playing three downs. Maybe they give him a call. I think he's probably the best free agent out there that could be the plan B to Daryl Henderson's plan A. Everyone else that's in free agency, I don't view as, as a complete type of running back. Uh, was, you know, you're talking about passing down guys like Duke Johnson or Deion Lewis. You're talking about early yeah. down guys like Adrian Peterson or Todd Gurley. Right. Um, I, I think Le'Veon offers a more compelling package than any of those running backs would for L.A. All right. So for more analysis on this, including Dynasty Talk on Cam Makers, check out the bonus pod from yesterday. As we've mentioned, our fourth annual draft-a-thon supporting St. Jude will be on September 1st. Last year, we auctioned off fantasy football experiences like Zoom calls with our experts. We did some custom smack talk videos. Those were fun. You could play in leagues with us, uh, guest appearances on the podcast. This year, we've got something awesome for you. Scott Fish is uh, generously offering up spots to play against us in next year's Scott Fish Bowl. So, you know, these are all things that are going to be up for auction and all of it's going to benefit St. Jude. But if you have any ideas of what you'd like to see to, uh, you know, bid or auctioned off to incentivize donations to St. Jude, please leave your ideas on this YouTube video. Or you can tweet at us or send us an email at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. All right. One of our topics today is handcuffs. And I'm putting a 10-minute timer on this discussion. But I'm going to ask you guys which handcuffs you think are worth drafting. And first of all, the the age-old question that's like three years old is, would you rather have your own running back handcuffed handcuff or a different running back? Let's say you draft Alvin Cook. Are you more likely to take Alexander Madison or Tony Pollard? Something like that. Uh, Jacob, what are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, we talked about this last year with Ben Gretchen, and I kind of agree that like the – the highest upside way to, to, to handle the situation definitely is not to handcuff um, and, and take players that are on the same team as, you know, a running back that you invested heavily in because, you know, the best case scenario is that your running back just gives you what you expect. He doesn't get hurt and you just waste the bench spot on, you know, a security policy, which is not the worst idea. Uh, it just is, you know, not a very high upside play. If I'm going to, you know, spend one of those late round picks, I'm just hoping, you know, to kind of, it's kind of a lottery ticket approach, I guess, with some of these guys where I want somebody who's, not on the same team as my running back. Um, and if, cause you're, you're playing to win, you know, you're playing to get first place. Um, so I'd rather have somebody who, if another running back goes down, now I've got two starting running backs, you know? Um, so I, I just, I know not everyone agrees with that. And people like the, the safe approach of like feeling like they have security of oh, having you know, the backup so running comforting. back. But, it's so uh, comforting when you get your handcuff. You guys like, but sometimes oh. you're not, you, it's not even the right guy. That's the thing is there's no, it, the security is it's honestly a facade sometimes. So like, I, I don't, but that goes to both, you know, that goes with the, uh, your strategy too. Sometimes right, you might not right, have the right yeah. guy, but Oh Dave, I sleep so much better at night when I have my handcuff. <laughs> you know what? I have, I have one league where I have Alvin Kamara and not Cam Akers, and I have both Latavius Murray, and I just so happen to have Daryl Henderson. So I did, I did both, both sees there. But if you were just going to have one handcuff on your team, would it be your running back or someone else's running back? I think it depends on what what the format and how deep the league is. If I'm in a league where everybody's got eight plus bench spots, and maybe there's more than twelve fantasy managers in the league, then I, I think I'm more apt to get that backup running back for my stud running back. I want to protect the investment. But in a regular 12-team league where you've only got limited bench spots, the upside play is to absolutely get the better talent and the guy that might even play a little bit each week even when the starter is healthy and ready to go. Tony Pollard could fit into that. A.J. Dillon could fit into that. Gus Edwards absolutely fills into that. So that way, at least you've got a running back who can give you, 
I don't know, maybe like six, seven, eight points, something like that. Uh, and then if, if it just so happens to pass that they end up being the lead back for their team, you've got a stud on your squad. And if they, even if they're getting six or seven points per game, maybe they score on top of it in a given week. Maybe you're, you're forced to start them and you luck out a little bit. You yeah. don't have that same type of potential if, you're, if your handcuff is legitimately somebody who um, just doesn't play from week to week. How much does Alexander Madison play from game to game? It's not that much. Um, how much will Ch- Chuba Hubbard play? Um, it's not going to be but that this, much. So, Those so guys how, don't so carry that, that same type in, of value. Would you, okay, so then would you rather have a handcuff who has some weekly value, but in all likelihood not weekly value that you're excited to start? I mean, it's a, it's a bi-week replacement. Like, who's starting Gus Edwards unless they absolutely have to, right? But Edwards mm-hmm. doesn't have as much upside as Madison, I, I think, anyway. Would you agree with that? He doesn't have as much upside as Pollard. Sure. Yeah. R- right? Okay, so would you rather have Edwards who has some value even when Dobbins is healthy, or Madison, who has no value when Cook is healthy, but could have 23 touches, as I'm just looking at the game log from, from last year, you know, what he did, well, he had one game against Atlanta, it was like one of the biggest flops of the year, but like week 17, he had a ton of work, you know, and he could, could be involved in the passing game. Would you rather have that? You're not going to be able to use him during the year if Cook's healthy, but he's better than what Gus Edwards would be if, if all the starting running backs got hurt. You're asking me. Uh, whatever. I like you both. <laughs> uh, All right, fine. I'll let that. I'd rather have I'd rather have Pollard and Madison because I don't plan on starting Gus Edwards anyway. He's really just a handcuff. I know he's got some. I don't know about that. I know. Yeah, I mean, he might be the one example, but Latavius Murray, you know, he might have a few weeks, but for the most part, you can't start Latavius Murray if Kamara. That healthy. I agree with. It's a case by case thing. Unless they change their offense, they go super run heavy. But from what right. we've seen, you can't start Latavius, but he'll do more than Madison. He'll do more than Pollard, probably. So the way that I look at it when I rank these guys are is the 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 running backs who I think will have a role from game to game that are backup running backs, but they'll still see 20 snaps and maybe get seven touches per game. Those are the ones that I'll draft ahead of the other handcuffs. That's what I'm saying, yeah. So, so then you yes. would take... Edwards over Madison, then? Yes. Okay. All right, let's go through the running backs. Jacob, I'll throw out a team, and you tell me, is this running back worth handcuffing? I'll still throw out a running back. Christian McCaffrey, and with whom? Yeah, I mean, I think it's Hubbard, right? I'm, I'm actually pretty excited for him. If anything were to happen to McCaffrey, just how we saw Mike Davis be used last year. Um, I don't know if, who else on the depth chart really could play that three-down role. Um, so, yeah, I'll okay. go with Hubbard. Okay, uh, and Dalvin Cook, yes, is Madison. Cal- Kamara is Latavius Murray. And what about t- Derrick Henry? Derrick Henry, I think, will end up, if he were to miss time, I think you'd see Jeremy McNichols and Darrington Evans play. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I wouldn't want to get either of those guys. I think it would be kind of a mess between the two of them. All right, Zeke is Pollard. What about Jonathan Taylor? Do you think he's worth backing up with Marlon Mack? In the deep league scenario that I laid out, I think he is. But I, Mac is not somebody I'm interested in drafting at this time. So so what's different about, say, Gus Edwards if Dobbins gets hurt and Marlon Mack if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt? Well, in Mac's case, I still think he's going to share with Hines. I think Hines has his role. Even when Jonathan Taylor's healthy, I think Hines is going to have his role. Right, but, but what I'm saying, the reason why I picked... Gus Edwards is he's not gonna he's probably he not gonna catch passes him. right. So well, he could he just I mean we don't know how serious the Ravens are about throwing to their running backs this year. I think Mac and Edwards, if you look at them right now, if they were both the starting running backs, you would think similar passing roles, right? Receiving yeah. roles. I think low, your point makes. Sure. I think your point makes sense. I think the offense environment in Baltimore is just much more conducive to success rushing, and Edwards has been a little bit better. But yeah, yeah, I think what you're saying makes sense. Right. Yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to bring up Mac as an alternative. Edwards is going 115th overall, Marlon Mack 219th overall. Right. Yeah. So if you wanted to have some handcuff but didn't want to use a semi-valuable pick, yeah. maybe it's Mac. How about the Giants? How about Saquon Barkley? That's assuming that Mac is also like healthy and looks good. He's coming back from the same injury that right. Cam Akers just suffered. 
Right. So how about Barkley? I, I'm I am more interested in Barkley's backup given all the news about how he might not be full go to start the season. And if he has a setback, once he starts playing and once he starts taking on contact and they, they, they signed Devonte Booker, that's who it is. Devonte Booker was someone they went out and gave money to this off season. So I'm, I'm mildly eh. interested in him. Not I mean, more than I make, but not that much money <laughs> in the NFL grand scheme of things. Do you think that Booker, that they throw him into a heavy workload because he's, barely gotten that since his rookie year he's had four games with double digit carries and he's 29 years old so I wonder if that's a situation where they split between some guy who maybe Corey Clement or some or like a rookie or, or somebody that we're not even thinking of right now like, do you think he gets Gallman treatment Devonte Booker or, or do they split it up like you like you mentioned with Tennessee I, I think there's a, a decent chance that he gets the Gallman treatment okay yeah, I think so. I like he's one of my preferred handcuffs in the the late late picks. Um, I think he's shown some ability to play on passing down, so it's possible that he would get that type of role like Gallman had. I'm going to make my 10 minute limit kind of difficult to achieve with this next question, but I want to go back to Jonathan Taylor. Just we were talking about it, and Dave, you said the Marlon okay. Mackey's got to be healthy. Well, maybe he's coming back from an Achilles, which is really tough. Maybe that's more of an incentive to draft Naeem Hines because that is someone who's going to have a PPR role. And he's going right after it goes Gus Edwards. Well, it goes AJ Dillon, Jamal Williams, Gus Edwards, Tony Pollard, Naeem Hines. <laughs> Five running backs in a row, running backs 40 through 44. But maybe Hines would get more carries than we would have expected if something happened to Taylor. I don't think it would be too many more. I think he'd be very either touchdown reliant or like ridiculously game script reliant in order for him to be useful in PPR. I think that's kind of what he's proven to be. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to look at a game and say, okay, do I really think that Hines can get more than five receptions in a game and, and that he could do well with them? But I, I I would guess that he would not see more than like six carries in a game, okay. maybe seven. I'll be generous. Uh, If Jonathan Taylor were to miss time, I think Mack would end up getting the lion's share of the early downs work. Jacob, I know this is one that interested you, the Chargers with Austin Eckler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the guy I'm taking a shot on is Justin uh, Jackson. And, of course, he's kind of a cut candidate. But if he ends up making the team, he's been really good. Like, in the three years that he's been in the league, uh, here's the list of running backs who have a higher target per route run and yard per route run rate. It's Alvin Kamara, James White, Tariq Cohen, and Austin Eckler. (laughs) That's the whole list. Like, he's been really good as a receiver. He's also been really good as a rusher. He's eighth among 100 qualified rushers and avoided tackle raid during that time. So, like, and we saw them give him 20 touches in his two starts for Eckler last year. So, again, he might not even make the team. I don't know where his health's at or anything. They drafted Larry Runtry. But if if he's on the team, I, I like him a lot, and he's free in drafts. All right. They're all free in drafts, whether it's yeah. Jackson or, or Ryan. He's the only one who's Kelly. shown us an ability to, like, be efficient as a pass catcher particularly. Um, True. Yeah, Roundtree is the more physical type. Yeah, like he's 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 a grinder. He's a he's a plow that can go straight ahead. He can work in short yardage situations. I'm curious to watch him. He's I drafted Eckler in the fishbowl, and so when I got to my late picks, uh, I did spend a late pick on Roundtree because I'm kind of putting some chips down on him to be the guy behind Eckler this year. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, if if Eckler were to go down and miss time, it would be a split. But I wonder if Roundtree could end up being someone who steals some valuable touches away from Eckler during the season and then sees his role grow when Eckler misses time. So you would actually take him over Josh Kelly because Kelly is actually the first one being drafted of that trio of Kelly Jackson. Everybody's guessing right now. Kelly was amazing. What would you do? Training camp last year. I'm taking Roundtree. Okay. And Jacob's taking Jackson. All right. Moving on. Nick Chubb is a unique case. His handcuff goes in round five. Najee Harris. Is he worth handcuffing? Not with anybody there. I don't think. I'm not even sure if Snell makes the final roster. Yeah. Uh, McFarland knows the offense a little bit because he played in it. Um, so I would imagine that he's got a chance to be the first guy up if Najee were to miss time, but I don't know how effective he'd be. He's, yeah. he's a fun running back to watch, man. I love them, and, and I thought he was a good fit for the Steelers when they drafted him. But I, I don't know how much work they'd really be willing to give him. Okay, and we've got... Plus they have Kalen Balaj. What do they need on any of these other guys for? <laughs> Uh, oh, Clyde Edwards, Elair. All right, Aaron Jones, we know, A.J. Dillon. Antonio Gibson, Clyde Edwards, Elair, Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift. 
We're pretty much not quite done, but okay. Gibson, real quick, go Gibson. It would I probably mean, be McKissick. Yeah, I, I think McKissick is one of the better handcuffs you can get in terms of somebody who would definitely have a three down roll. Um, I don't. He's kind of like Hines. I don't know what his rushing volume would be like necessarily, but we saw the way they use him as a receiver last year. Um, I like him this price. I would imagine he'll be a watered down version of what he was last year. Right. But I'm saying if Antonio Gibson's out, yeah. He, yeah, even if Gibson's out, I think that you'll see him not get the same type of target volume. Just no, 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 yeah, no change not the same, definitely not Samuel the same being there. Yeah. yeah. Right, how about the Chiefs? Clyde Edwards either. Williams is worth a, a late round stash in deeper leagues. He's another guy when I he's another guy who I took in the fishbowl because I had Edwards Elaire. Joe Mixon. I don't know who the guy is. I think I, it's gonna be Maje P. Ryan. I think so too. I, I looked back at that just before we, we started. And uh, other than Geo, Pierre was the only guy that they really let play on like third downs and passing downs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it makes some sense looking at their depth chart right now that he would be the guy who like could potentially even play three downs if Mixon is down and they don't sign anybody else. Jacob, did you watch Chris Evans at Michigan? No. I think Evans could work as a passing downs guy. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. interesting. It's where let, he's one to watch during training camp if you're really interested. Right. Remember, the guy who's backing up Joe Mixon isn't as good as Joe Mixon and is still going to play in the same offense behind the same offensive line and against yeah. the same run of defenses. It won't be pretty. So P. Ryan, if he's the guy, would be somebody that you would take only in the deeper drafts, only in the fishbowl type of leagues. Jamal Williams was great last year when he got to start for Aaron Jones. Now he's on Detroit. Do you consider him a true handcuff, or is there some other running back that you think would get carries while they would keep Williams maybe in a passing role if Swift got hurt? I would view him as a handcuff plus. I think he's someone that I was talking about earlier that you you draft knowing that if you're in a pinch, you can use him and hope that he gets 10 touches and maybe he falls into the end zone. But that's going to be even when Swift's healthy. And if Swift isn't healthy, this is an every-down guy for the Lions. Okay. And then anyone else? We're looking at Chris Carson... David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs. You know, the interesting thing is at this point, you probably have a, another running back on your team who you drafted earlier, and you're more interested in handcuffing that guy in, in all likelihood. That's kind of how it works, but maybe that doesn't mean it should work that way. But would you take Damian Williams, somebody on the – I don't think I'd take anyone like Eagles. Um, Chris, you know, would you take Rashad Penny? Yeah, no, we covered all my guys at this point, I think. Did we talk about A.J. Dillon enough? Because I don't think we did at all. And that's another handcuff plus, I think. Well, I, I just mentioned him. Yeah. And he is on that list. Yeah. No, he's he's going to be one of my favorite ones to go and put on your bench. Makes sense. For sure. All right. Some news and notes. Pittsburgh signed pass rusher Melvin Ingram. Hopefully they can get something from him. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was offered a two-year contract extension earlier this offseason, according to Adam Schefter. He obviously did not accept the offer. And Jets, this is, this is tough news, but Jets passing game coordinator Greg Knapp, he's in critical, critical condition after a bike accident, so we are wishing him the best. Um, there are not uh, a lot of news items here other than the Acre stuff, so we will get to Jacob Gibbs' statistics. Hold on. Before we do that, would you like the list of running backs that Chris Towers put together from 2010 on who have suffered an Achilles injury? Oh, no. This is a sad I don't list. think there are that many. Uh, you can count the names. Here we go. Lendale White. Andre, Andre Brown. Brown yeah. Michael LaShore. Yeah. I remember <laughs> loving Michael LaShore yeah. coming out of Illinois. Ernest Graham. Kendall Hunter. Beanie Wells, who's Dang. actually a cool dude, but yeah. suffered a really vicious injury. Never played again after the injury. Vic Ballard. Joe McKnight. Arian Foster. I think that was pretty much the end of the run for Foster. Brandon Oliver, speaking of Chargers backup running backs. Deontay Foreman did try a comeback in 2020. I'm not sure if he's even on a roster. Mm. It might be Tennessee. Isaiah Crowell oh, man. and Marlon Mack. We don't know what's going to happen to Marlon Mack, but after running through all those other names. It's a brutal list. Yeah, but they weren't it, it so great. It is a brutal list. They were not great. They were not great running. Sorry to say it. They just weren't. They were not uh, stud oh. running backs in the NFL. I think some of them had the chance to be, and others definitely had their moments. 
Crowell had his moments. Lendell White had his moments. Beanie Wells had his moments. Lashore might have. I think have you're been. being kind. Lendell White definitely did. He, well, he scored a ton. And Arian Foster for crying but out Arian loud. Foster Arian was Foster the, was but he was one overall pick in fantasy. He was toward the end of his career when he towards Achilles. I, I don't think he was. Well, well, at that point, you know how good was Arian Foster? I honestly, I'm asking. I don't remember. But he didn't tear his Achilles in the in the prime of his career. And and what I said on the show with Jamie was that. You know, it used to be a, basically the end of your product productivity for basketball players, too. And Kevin Durant's as good as he ever was. Yep. So, and Kevin Durant's not young, either. So, I'm and just Cam hoping... And Akers will have plenty of time. Yeah, I'm just hoping that these things are always so... They change so much. Guys get so much better at rehabbing from these injuries. The science gets better. The medicine gets better. So, hopefully, that's the case here. Uh, not, I, I don't think any of those names were in the position of Cam Akers. You know, in terms of youth, opportunity, oh. pedigree. I mean, Lashore was. But no, he wasn't Cam Akers. Was he? He was a popular... He wasn't as high up as Cam Akers, no. Like, right. we, Akers was flirting with round one status. Lashore never did. Right. But no. Lashore was a popular, popular fantasy pick. All right, Jacob. Dazzle us with some some stats. <laughs> Before you do that, though, why don't you do it? You do it, Jacob. Go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up and make sure we are uh, going to be one of the finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Help us out, everybody. You got to nominate us to advance to the final round. To nominate Fantasy Football Today, go to that link, podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Toggle down to the sports category, and we've got the link at the top of the episode description. This would be awesome if we could win it, so help us make it happen. We wanted to talk about Clyde edwards Zeller in the passing game, and you're skeptical about his role there, right? Right, yeah. I don't know if these stats are going to dazzle anyone. They might depress them, honestly, or <laughs> at least they do me as a Chiefs fan. Dude, the more I, I dig through the data from Clyde's rookie season, I just keep noticing myself shaking my head. It's just like the way the Chiefs use him was so disappointing, given all the hype around him when he came in as a first round pick and how, you know, the way that Mahomes and Reed talked about envisioning him as a, you know, adding a new element to the passing game. He just didn't play they a, on passing downs. And it doesn't make sense to me, really given all the data points that we have. Uh, PFF had Daryl Williams graded as a worst pass blocker. And then CEH was clearly more efficient as a receiver, but they just didn't play him on passing downs. Like, and it got, unlike some rookies where the roles kind of expand throughout the year, I thought maybe that was what happened with with Clyde, you know, like he didn't have preseason. And so there are some, you know, reasons why he was kind of eased into it, but he wasn't. It actually got worse as the year went on. Um, I mean, I gave that stat at the beginning of the show that he didn't even play a single third down in the final eight games of the season. It was the same thing in the, uh, no, he played, sorry, he played 19% of the third downs. He didn't play any of the two minute offense. It was the same thing in the Super Bowl. He didn't play a single third down. And I don't know. It's just, it's going to be really hard for him to, you know, return what people were expecting last year for sure, or even this year at his ADP if he's not, if he's an early down only guy. Do you guys think that's going to change in his second year? That's the I question. I think it could. And yeah. obviously we're all rooting for it to change. We remember how he was such a, a great pass-catching running back at LSU. Mm -hmm. And obviously there is something that went down and maybe it was, the, you know, the truncated training camp, who knows what it was, that made the coaches say, you know what, we can probably do a little bit better than this. We don't have to put that on his plate this year. Mm -hmm. It is something that he can, it's something he's proven to do in the past, and it's something that the coaches might allow him to do this year. We just don't have evidence of it. Right. You know, once we start hearing about Edward Zolaire's working in the two-minute drill uh, in training camp when they're in 11 on 11, then that would be interesting to me. Or if there's a drive when the starters are playing in the preseason and he's the running back on the field, then mm -hmm. that would interest me. Um, I, I, I'm hoping that maybe one of those things happen. The other thing you can think about is you look at the other running backs on the roster. Daryl Williams is okay as a third down back. He can certainly pass protect. And, you know, if they're in a short yardage situation, he can get the job done. Jarek McKinnon is there. When McKinnon is right, he can be a good third down back. We just don't know how often he will be in that position. But, I, have, I I can't I can't tell everybody that it's it's going to work out great and Edward Zelaya is going to catch fifty balls this season. 
Yeah. I, there's no evidence that says that it's definitely going to happen and that he's going to play more passing downs. And that's just half of the the battle that I deal with, Jacob. The other half that I deal with is 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 it going to get short yardage and goal line situations? Oh, I was just right. about to bring that up. Yeah. Like that <laughs> like the literally the two things that we've learned about high value touches <laughs> are targets and catches and short yardage goal line work. And right. if you don't have those roles, you better run for 130 yards every week or, you know, total 130 yards anyway, if you're going to help us in this in this fun game called fantasy football. He was 0 for 4 from one yard to go last year. It was all against Houston. Didn't score any of them, obviously. He was 1 for 6 from three yards or closer uh, in goal to go. The touchdown was against Vegas. Overall, on downs of three yards or closer, wherever they are on the field, he was 17 of 31. So a little better than 50%. That's not really that great. Um and then my, my, my favorite stat to tie onto that was Mahomes had 10 passes inside of the three-yard line. That includes those little pop passes to you know, jet sweeps to Tyree Kill or whoever. Eight touchdowns on those 10 passes. And Mahomes was two for two when he rushed from inside of three yards on touchdown on goal-to-go carries. Can I so, give you one more stat and see what yeah, you think sure, of it? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Clyde edwards either was the only player on the team with more than two carries inside the five. And he had nine, and no, and I, that surprised me because I I thought Tyreek Hill would have had more, mm-hmm. um, I thought Mahomes would have had more, but no, and and I know that maybe four of them were in week one, right? Maybe three or four were in mm-hmm. week one where he couldn't get in the end zone. Yeah, but they didn't. It's not like they had a goal line back. I do think I remember just throughout the season Daryl Williams getting some short yardage work. But they didn't give it to Daryl Williams to plow it in at the one yard line. The only guy who ever who really ever got that was was uh, Clyde Edwards. Either Chad Henney had two, Mahomes had two, Darwin Thompson had one carry from inside the five, and that's it. Daryl Williams had none. Le'Veon Bell had none. So Daryl Williams had no goal to go carries in 2020. His last goal line carry was in 2019. That's in the regular season. He might have had one in the playoffs. So, but so he didn't have any in the regular season. Bringing it out, and then also Jacob, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but you 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 noted in an email that mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Mahomes hasn't really thrown to his running backs that much. He did though in spurts with Damian Williams down the stretch in 2018 and 2019. But yeah, I, it, that was worth noting too. But where where are you guys comfortable taking Clyde Edwards either? He is going 14th overall at running back, 20th, 19th, 20th overall off the board. After Antonio Gibson, basically the same ADP as Joe Mixon. That's about right. I have him at RB15, just ahead of Dobbins, Chris Carson. Um, But yeah, I mean, there are legitimate concerns here with his his passing down involvement. That's the main thing for me. I think, like you noted, we we didn't see enough last year to say that he's not going to have the goal line role. I think he definitely could. And I don't put a ton of stock into, like, success on goal line rushes, especially on such a small sample size. It's kind of random, I think. Um, but the passing down involvement, I'm very, very worried about because um, we just haven't seen anything that's going to indicate that it'll change. It's just like speculation that it will because he's a second-year player. To Jacob's point, the offensive line wasn't exactly great last and year. It should be a lot better this year. Yes, it should. And so that might make the coaching staff more confident in handing off to Edwards Hilaire in those you know goal-to-go situations inside the three. And that would help his stats. I also think his schedule is a little rough to begin the year. He's starting off against Cleveland, yeah. Baltimore. Uh, the Chargers, I don't know if that's that dangerous of a defense. Philadelphia after that, I think they're going to have a good run defense. I think Buffalo's run defense can be pretty good. Washington after that. It's it's not an easy schedule for Edwards Hilaire. I'm comfortable taking him toward the very end of round two. Okay, let's talk about Robbie Anderson reunited with Sam Darnold, and it feels so not so good. <laughs> Uh, I don't know who sings that song, Jacob, but do you have that album cover on your wall? If anybody's looking at Jacob. I don't. That <laughs> didn't make the wall. <laughs> like a map of the United States in album covers behind him. It's pretty cool. Uh, also, I'm going to look up who sings that song. I should know. Uh, but anyway, yeah, what do you want to tell us about Robbie Anderson and, and his role in the passing game? Yeah, so the question is, like, who's going to take over for Curtis Samuel, who had a, a big year out of the slot for Carolina last year? Um, and I'm, I'm working on... My 2021 version of my slot research piece I did for Sportsline last year, which has showed that slot targets are worth about 10% more PPR points than perimeter targets on average. Um, and so I think this is an important situation, just given that 
knowledge and how well Samuel performed last year. Um, and then how, you know, we have seen Sam Darnold have a propensity to target the slot, um, whether that's, you know, due to gaze or not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I think whoever is going to play the slot in Carolina is someone we should be interested in. Um, and I think it could be Anderson. The more I've dug into it, Curtis Samuel led the Panthers with 66 targets from the slot, but Robbie actually almost matched him with 54, even though he ran 141 fewer slot routes. And if you're wondering how that math makes any sense, it's because Devonta Adams was the only player who was targeted at a higher rate than Robbie Anderson on slot routes in 2020. Um, his, his target per route run rate was up from 20.4%, which is like good. It's above average on, you know, routes outside the slot all the way to 29% uh, when running from the slot. And his yards per route run was up from 1.7 to 2.3. Um, so I, I think it makes sense that he could have that role. Um, do you guys, is that what you're expecting? Or are you Terrace Marshall fans, either one of you? Yeah, I like the talent of Marshall. Yeah, and he—I mean, Marshall played the big slot at LSU, so it's possible yes. that that is what how they will use him. But he did um, it when Joe Brady wasn't there. Yeah, which is yeah. kind yeah, of Justin Jefferson. Not that Brady's going to ignore it. And Justin say, right, Jefferson, you're, you're only play on the outside, right? Like Justin yeah. Jefferson was there blocking him from that role, right? In yeah, twenty twenty. It's a fair 19. point. So Brady probably knows he can do it. Look, I—it I, wouldn't surprise me in the least if if the Panthers used all those guys in the slot mm. and they didn't have a Cooper cup style designated slot receiver, you know, DJ Moore has proven to work out of the slot. Robbie last year did. And I think Marshall could, and I think McCaffrey could, and you know, that's the sign of a team that can, you know, keep other defenses off kilters by lining guys up all over the place. Yeah. So I, I don't want that to be the data point that makes me want to draft Robbie or not draft Robbie. Right. No, it's just one of a lot. Um, and then obviously his ADP is the other thing. But yeah, I don't expect him to be the full-time slot receiver, just to be clear. I just think he was much more efficient on those routes. And it stands to reason that he will see at least a 10, 15% increase to the amount of routes that he saw from the salt last year, if not more. Mm. Um, so that just provides a slight bump to someone who already saw 134 targets last year. It was eighth among wide receivers and targets. And there's no real reason why his target share would go down in 2021. Um, Samuel was targeted at a really, really high rate when he's on the field. I, I don't see any way. I like Marshall as well, but I don't see any way he replicates that target per run rate that Samuel had in his first year. I mean, he was never targeted a high rate in college. Obviously, he had a lot of competition there at LSU, but I think we could see 140 plus targets from Anderson this year, um, which is crazy for someone being drafted as late as he is. Wide receiver 33 off the board, Robbie Anderson, after Sutton and Chark. Before Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Tyler Boyd. Oh, that's wow. Before Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, and Tyler Boyd. Based on what he did last year, it's justifiable because he had so many catches. But, you know, this is a guy, this is what he does. The first five games of the year, he was the sixth best wide receiver in PPR leagues. The last 11 games of the year, he had 600 yards and two touchdowns. So, on a ton of targets, too. But He was 10th in targets per game last year eight and a half per game and to be 10th in targets per game and to finish as wide receiver 28 i think in ppr 41 in non-ppr or maybe that I the that story, up. I doesn't know. it yeah yeah uh, the well, ceiling is definitely capped by the offensive environment there for sure in terms of touchdowns but i just think if he slides past like wide receiver 32 or something I think he's a really good value he's not somebody i'm like going way out of my way to get well would you guys take Devonte smith tyler boyd or robbie anderson I'm taking uh, Boyd for sure. I have him 29, 30, 31. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. So I, incredible. I have Anderson first, but it's really close. Yeah. And I think you can make a case for any of them. I really like Devontae Smith. Yeah. I like Smith a lot too. I just can't put him ahead of Robbie just yet. I think Robbie's a little safer and I think Boyd's <clears throat> a little safer than Robbie. We're going to take a break here on fantasy football today. When we come back, we're talking about Adam. <laughs> Troutman and a replacement for Cole Beasley in Buffalo if Cole Beasley does not play this year and he's a guy who had a career year last season career highs in almost every category um, we'll talk about the Bills and the Saints right after this on Fantasy Football Today this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back. Jacob Gibbs joining us from Sportsline. He's got awesome player profiles that you need to check out. Go to sportsline.com. It's mega affordable. It's like $9.99 a month, and it's great gambling advice, great fantasy advice. It pays for itself, especially if you like to gamble. So tell me about Adam Troutman and what, and Dave's going to join you in, in the excitement for Adam Troutman. Uh, what are you excited about? I'm mostly excited about the fact that he just he could be on the field a lot for a tight end um, because of the, the vacated slot targets here in New Orleans. If he ends up playing the role that we kind of envision, um, which I think is totally realistic. They like to use two tight ends quite a bit um, and line them out in the slot and wide receiver. Then he could end up having, you know, a, a 70 plus percent snap rate. And that's pretty exciting for, you know, somebody who's in an offense that does have a lot of vacated targets. Um, so between Emmanuel Sanders, and Jared Cook, the, the Saints lost 64 of their 115 slot targets. Um, and they might let Traquan Smith be the full-time slot receiver. I'm curious if, is that what you guys are expecting? He really, really struggled last year in that role. I think he's going to be their number two receiver to begin camp. Yeah. And I think that's the only guarantee that we can say about Trey Quan Smith. Yeah. I think it's more likely that they'll move Troutman there. I mean, he's a third round pick um, who didn't show a lot as a rookie, but like he's someone they clearly believe in and he put up great numbers in college. And I think the signing of Nick Vanette kind of points towards the likelihood as well that he could be their, you know, primary slot target. Um, right. Um, I think Vanette has been used, you know, much more as a blocker than a route runner, and his presence should allow Travis to split out wide in the slot a lot more, like we saw with Jared Cook. Um, and then just Jared Cook, he was he was targeted on 20% of his routes from the slot, up from 14% on all other routes, and his yards per hour run almost doubled. It was up 76% on the slot compared to other routes. So if we see Travis in that role, um, I think that is exciting for somebody who you know does have some talent as a pass catcher and is on a team that needs somebody to step up as a complimentary playmaker. So he's not somebody I'm like reaching for super heavily, but I think he is someone to keep in mind that you're real high on him, Dave. How high do you have him in your, he's top 12 for tight rankings. I'm curious. Yeah. 12. Wow. He's top 12. I'm, I'm ready to take him and begin the season with him as, as my starter, even though he's got a really tough schedule to begin the season. Okay. Uh, He's got green Bay in week one, for example, and definitely doesn't have the experience that you'd like to see. But he's, he's got a huge opportunity, and he's a huge player. He is a big dude yeah. out there. He's tough to take down. Uh, a weird thing stood out to me when I was watching his film. He looked faster and more fluid before he caught the football. So, like, when he ran his routes, I thought he, I thought he did a great job. I think he cut quickly. I, was, I think he was able to gain some separation that way. But then once he had the ball in his hands, he wasn't quite as fast. And I wonder if there was just too much thinking going on there. Maybe he was a little nervous about it all and just really focused on holding onto the football and not necessarily trying to make a, a big play after the catch. I wonder if in time he'll be able to marry that together where he moves so well before the catch and then does so again after the catch. Um, I, I also think that this is an offense that he's familiar with. And he played tight end in a very West Coast style of offense. Uh, I talked to his offensive coordinator at Dayton. Uh, he, he compared the offense that they ran at Dayton to what the Rams run. And the Saints offense isn't too terribly far off from that. Um, I, I, I think that there is a chance here for Troutman to be a rags to riches story at tight end. If I find myself on draft day, oh, I, honestly, I'm kind of looking for Troutman no matter what, whether I take a tight end early or not. But especially if I don't take a tight end early, and I'm resigned to the fact of taking two tight ends after round seven. Um, he'll be in the mix. He won't be a round eight pick. He probably won't be a round nine pick for me either. Round 10 is when I'm looking for Troutman. Let's go okay. fishing for a stud tight end. There you go. Wow. And then finally, we'll talk about the Buffalo Bills, who had one of the best pass offenses in the NFL and only one top 24 wide receiver to show for it. It was the Stefan Diggs show for sure. But you think, Jacob, that maybe Emmanuel Sanders could have some value and really nobody's drafting Emmanuel Sanders. 
Yeah, nobody wants to draft Manuel Sanders. I can't blame him. He's 34 years old. Um, but if Cole Beasley doesn't play, um, which who knows, I don't even want to speculate on that situation, but like he is leaving a lot of vacated volume if he doesn't play. He had 948 yards from the slot last year, which is more than any player in the past five seasons. Uh, the Bills scored the third most PPR points from the slot. And if him and John Brown are both not there and only replaced by Emmanuel Sanders, um, I, I think he's someone that is going to have enough volume and has actually been decently efficient, surprisingly efficient, I think, over the past couple of years. Um, I think he might end up being relevant. And he's being drafted outside the top 70 wide receivers. So I don't know if people are thinking about that much. But before I kind of get into some of the efficiency stats with Sanders, are you guys, are either of your Gabriel Davis truthers, is that who you would expect to, to step up here? Nope. I, I think Davis will see an increase in playing time and targets overall. I just think he offers something different than yeah. what Sanders can do. Honestly, I think Sanders was signed not to replace anybody, but to be kind of like an easy veteran presence, an easy short area target, and a guy who could back up all three <laughs> positions in Buffalo. Yeah. And now it's just turning out where um, you know, Cole Beasley, uh, there, there might be some availability concerns um, for the Bills, and they could turn to Emmanuel Sanders and say, You've played in the slot before. You were great at it. We need you to do it. Can you uh, step in? Yeah, sure, I can step in. And then they make the move to get away from Beasley, and Sanders takes that role. It's absolutely in play. Sanders was pretty good last year when Michael Thomas was out. And if you want to get a little bit more specific, no, it was the same thing. I was going to say when Michael Thomas was out and Drew Brees was playing, but there were no games that Michael Thomas was out and Brees wasn't. Uh, and, yeah, and Breeze was also out. Never mind. So, yeah, no, when, when Michael Thomas was out, Emmanuel Sanders was pretty solid last year. Definitely a, a guy that was must roster and not quite must start, but he was good. And Beasley, like I said, career season there. I like, I, I like the upside of Gabriel Davis. I don't think Emmanuel Sanders has a lot of upside. Yeah, but I, I think that's, that's fair. True. Yeah. I just I, think I, if I, he, if, I mean, right now, though, if we're drafting, I do think Cole Beasley is, if he plays, I don't know if. Let me just check his ADP. But I, I, he's been, I think, pretty disrespected. And yeah, he's, he's clearly a value if he plays. Six out, wide receiver 61. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to draft Cole Beasley, I think. Is the, Could be. Is the issue there. But, yeah, he's definitely underdrafted to that. It's not Who even... had more games with 10 PPR points last year? And they were in different offenses, of course. Beasley or Sanders? Oh, Beasley. I would have to think Beasley, right? Beasley had 10. Sanders had nine. Wow. <laughs> oh, was... But Sanders played in 14 games. Beasley played in 15 games. Oh. Well, also, Beasley also left another game a little early. Beasley, um, Dave, um, I, I, I Honestly, like, I, I look at both of them as Brown. solid bench guys in PPR only. That's in, it. in seven games without John Brown, you're gonna, it's going to knock your socks off. <laughs> uh, seven games without John Brown. We're not wearing socks. <laughs> That's gross. Uh, he was Beasley was on pace for 101 catches, 1,120 yards, and a whopping two touchdowns on 133 targets. But still, 1,100 plus yards and 101 catches without on that was his pace without John Brown. All right, good stuff there. Do we have time for emails? Yeah, let's fire through a few quick emails here. Uh, starting with one from our friend. Brando, but Brando, you should know, you and everyone else should know that, oh, oh, that Peaches and Herb sing Reunited. And now I don't feel bad for not knowing that. Never heard of them. All right, Brando has a keeper question. And he had second place last year, so he's drafting 11th. It's PPR, three receivers, and it is a super flex league. So he can keep three. Patrick Mahomes in the seventh round, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Travis Kelsey in the third. Yes. Easy now, easy. McLaurin in the 15th. Yes. Yes. Gosh. Okay, but so now I think Mahomes and McLaurin are the top two keepers, right? Yeah. If you can keep him at those, at McLaurin, if you can keep McLaurin at that value for several more years, then yeah. If it's like a one year deal thing, then. And probably still, yeah. Yeah, still can. <laughs> yeah, All right, so then so. you can choose one more. Kelsey in the third, Swift in the 11th, or Lamb in the ninth? Kelsey. I think it's Kelsey. But again, if it's a long-term thing and you can keep these players for their whole careers at these cheap values, you've got to give Swift some serious consideration. 
Question here from Josh Alvarez. Is it possible that a person could draft a really great team picking just the best available players due to everyone else doing their research and making players either rise or drop in ADP with all the mocks and early drafts? So Sure. Yeah. Best available. I, I, I have a couple of friends who do that where they, they, they actually build a starting lineup before they add any depth at any position. Is that, and they just, is that best available player, though? To yeah. a degree. It's not exactly best available player, but... If you're doing best available player, what happens when the best available player is a quarterback in round four and in round six? Yeah, now that that makes sense of filling out your right, but within filling out your starting lineup, you're not taking your second running back before your third receiver if you have your third receiver higher in your overall rankings. You're just taking the best available player. I've sort of gravitated to that, to be quite honest with you. you that's an easy thing to do in the later rounds. You, you almost ignore position and need. You don't really have many needs when you're in the late rounds anyway. But th this is how I've ended up with some drafts where I have two quarterbacks and two tight ends. And in a, yeah. a very few times, I, but I've done it, I've had three quarterbacks just because I've gotten ridiculous values in round 10, round 11, round 12. Can't pass them up. But we're never going to be the guys who take, well, I shouldn't say never, Miles Gaskin ahead of... Chris Godwin or something like that, or or C.D. Lamb, I, I I wouldn't. Jacob, I don't think you would either. I'm a big Miles Gaskin fan, but no. Oh, you are. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah and that's the thing. People are like, well, I'm running out of running backs here. I'm going to take this guy, even though he could be a total bust. He's got so much downside because he's a running back. We don't do that. We we'll take that wide receiver instead. Well, given those wide receivers, yes. Well, I think that's. It's not really ADP because Gaskin's going later, but that's how it works out in right. our Right. What drafts. if it's Gaskin versus Galladay and Juju or something like that? Yeah. Gaskin. More reasonable there. I, I was really looking at the, the drafts that we do. Gaskin always seems to be a fourth-round pick, I think, but not in ADP. All right, next question is from AJ in a city in on the Ohio. On the Ohio. Why don't you just look at the map behind Jacob? <laughs> <laughs> I think Ohio River's in southern Ohio, right? Yeah, Apex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say no Cincinnati, idea. even though there's a chance that it's not on the Ohio River. All right, dear Arnold, Doug, Ren, and Rocco. Arnold, Doug, Ren, and Rocco. Jacob, how about you rank those Nickelodeon characters? Dang, I don't remember... Other than Arnold, I don't even remember the other three. Ren, come yeah. on, Ren and Stimpy. You never saw Ren and Stimpy? No. What? <laughs> Sorry. Idiot. Sorry to let you down there. <laughs> All right, then don't worry about it. Between Trey Sermon and Michael Carter, who do you like better in redraft leagues? Carter. PPR, by the way. Still Carter. Full PPR, yeah. Carter definitely benefits from that. I'm really excited for Sermon. I think he's a really great fit with them. Um, there's a lot of data points from his college profile that indicate that he could be really successful in their system. But, yeah, I have Sermon one spot ahead. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's tough. I think there's more upside with him, but Carter like could potentially play a three-down role if anything were to happen to Coleman. Oh, yeah. Tevin Coleman, something could happen to him. Is that yeah, right? A question, <laughs> honestly. That's um, a, they're really tough. Yeah. They are tough, and people are definitely going to be hesitant to take Jets. I really like Carter's talent. I think the only thing he can't do really well is pass block, and I think that he'll be able to work around that in the offense and that they'll find ways to get him the football, and I think he's better than the other running backs on the roster. Sermon's in a great spot. There's no doubt about it, but I think Kyle Shanahan just likes to use multiple running backs and maybe squeamish to give a rookie a ton of work right away. So it, it, Sermon's someone I like, but I, I get nervous drafting him a little too soon. I'd rather hope to get him at a value, but I probably won't. Carter, I'm comfortable taking like round seven, early round seven. I feel fine with it. Uh, you have 30 seconds to answer this. Uh, Cincinnati is on the Ohio River, by the way. Jared Cook, why didn't we discuss him in our tight end tiers? Will he not be the clear number one tight end on the Chargers this year? How do you view Jared Cook this year? Jacob, 30 seconds, go. I think Jared Cook is a little bit slept on. I think he's going to you know, play from the slot a little bit like Hunter Henry did. He's somebody who uh, is just at the very end of a tier of guys 
like him, but involved Troutman, Cole Komet, those type of Blake Jarwin, Gerald Everett guys. He just is not quite as exciting as the rest of those guys to me. But I think he's a little bit slept on. I think part of the reason why he did so well in New Orleans was because of Drew Brees targeting him far downfield. And I don't know how much that's going to happen in L.A. Four of his last five games last year, 11-plus PPR points. That's cool. I, I think he's going to be a little worse than that, if not a lot worse than that and with the Chargers. You know, you should, you should have done like a Facebook or a social network. 11 or more PPR points. That's cool. You know what's really cool? <laughs> 11 billion or more PPR fantasy points in four of his last. <laughs> He'll be a league winner if he scores you 11 billion PPR points. <laughs> That's Jacob Gibbs. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always fun. You'll hear more from Jacob throughout <clears> the season <throat> and throughout the offseason getting you ready for drafts. He has the best stats. And Dave Richard, as you know, wearing a collared shirt. Very cool. I'm out of No socks, though. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk to you tomorrow on Fantasy Football Today. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.